Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of Ballsy History, a podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Elise, Elliot, and Maureen. We're glad you're tuning in. Today on our show, we'll learn about child psychologist Margaret McFarland, who served as a mentor to Fred Rogers of the PBS children's television program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Behind the scenes, she worked as Rogers' chief consultant, helping build a show that taught generations of children about kindness, make-believe, and love. In fact, his book, Mr. Rogers Talks with Parents, published in 1983, was dedicated to McFarland. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was nationally broadcast from 1968 to 1976, and again from 1979 to 2001 although the show existed in different iterations prior. During the 30-minute program, children were encouraged to be their true selves, use their imaginations, and show kindness to their neighbors. However, the show broke plenty of ground in children's television programming. Within the first week, the show was alluding to the Vietnam War, and the character, Officer Clemens, was one of the first regular roles for a black person on television. At a time when there was uproar about desegregating swimming pools, Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens washed off their feet together in a shared pool, a subtle but important statement. Over the years, grief, divorce, racism, and death were all handled on the show. Margaret McFarland had a significant influence on how content was presented on air. In fact, she reviewed the scripts until her death, suggesting improvements on the material. She will make just one suggestion, and it raises the whole level, Rogers told the Pittsburgh Press. She was an enormous influence on me. Developmental psychologist Margaret McFarland was born in 1905 in a suburb of Pittsburgh. Her father died when she was five, and once he was gone, Farland found she still wanted a kind of fathering. She said these feelings drove her interest in child psychology. Losing her father at such a young age did indeed color the rest of her life. She attributed her choice not to marry or have children as stemming from his passing and the impact it had on her. McFarland attended Goucher College, graduating in 1927, and she earned a master's degree at Columbia University the following year. She combined teaching and conducting personality research at the Winchester Thurston School in Pittsburgh and the Hubbard Woods Nursery School in Illinois. At Hubbard Woods, she worked with children enrolled in the study by Rose House Allschuller and Laberto Weiss Hatwick, later published as Painting and Personality, a Study of Young Children. In brief, the study searched for correlations between artwork being created and mood. It examined the question, did the lives of these preschoolers spill over into their art, and what conclusions can be drawn? McFarlane completed her doctorate in 1938 from Columbia, and then worked and taught in Melbourne. 
At this time, she was a leader in the Kindergarten Training College and the Free Kindergarten Union. Upon her return to the United States in 1941, she was an associate professor of psychology at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts for 10 years. In the course of this decade, McFarland realized two key concepts that guided much of her work, the role of the woman in child development and the utility of creative play in childhood. By 1951, McFarland had returned to Pittsburgh and taught as an associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh. McFarland believed that understanding child development was, as she wrote, crucial in the solution of many of the problems with which man is grappling. In her classroom, mothers and children were frequent visitors. She asked her students to observe their behavior, then spend time with the class discussing their interactions. McFarland liked to teach by parable, using storytelling and asking questions to guide her students. Her methods made a lasting impression on students who went on to be therapists and in turn informed their own work. In 1953, she co-founded the Arsenal Family and Children's Center with Dr. Benjamin Spock, who was well known for his studies concerning child development and the author of The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, one of the best-selling books of all time, and respected psychologist Eric Erickson, who identified the eight stages of development and the term identity crisis. The center's goal was for physicians and others to be able to learn more about childhood development. Erickson spent one day a week at the center and said of McFarland, she knew more than anyone in this world about families with young children. She remained the director of the Arsenal Center through 1971 and, along with Dr. Spock, founded the Department of Child Development and Child Care at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. McFarland kept a very low profile throughout her career. She wrote very little about her teaching philosophies, except for her dissertation and a single journal article on the development of motherliness. However, one of her students, Judith Rubin, described her as a creative catalyst who had a gift for helping others reach their potential. This also describes her work with Fred Rogers. The beloved host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood taught millions of children about love, kindness, and the magic of make-believe and McFarlane mentored him and helped shape his groundbreaking television show. They originally met in the 1950s when he was a puppeteer and a producer on a Pittsburgh public television show called The Children's Corner. At this point, he was also attending classes on his lunch break to earn a master's degree in divinity. As he became interested in learning about the psychology of children, one of his professors recommended he meet McFarland, regarded as one of the most respected child psychologists in Pittsburgh. For counseling experience while earning his degree, Rogers worked under the supervision of McFarland. She saw great potential in Rogers, feeling he had not closed off the channels of communication between his childhood and his manhood, McFarland told the Washington Post. In fact, she felt that working off-camera and manipulating the puppets didn't allow him to reach his best work, and she told him, Fred, the children need to see you. They need you to help them distinguish between reality and fantasy. 
Rogers was ordained as a minister and appeared as Mr. Rogers on a show in Canada in the early 1960s. He returned to Pittsburgh in 1966 to start Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. On WQED-TV, a public broadcasting station, the show aired for the first time nationally on public television stations in 1968. McFarland became his chief consultant. For 30-ish years until her death, Rogers and McFarland met nearly every week to discuss children, scripts, props, and songs. Much of Rogers' thinking about and appreciation for children was shaped and informed by McFarland's work. Her advice was so valuable, Rogers took extensive handwritten notes and also recorded their meetings. Others who worked with Rogers often heard him replaying these audio cassettes in his office. For one show, Rogers wanted to do a program about fire and took his ideas to McFarland. She helped me to realize that it was essential to deal with the control of fluids before even introducing anything about fire. I learned, for instance, that most children's dreams about fire center around their control of their own body fluids. That's how personal a fire can seem to a child, said Rogers. McFarland knew how hard young children work at learning to control their bodily fluids, especially during potty training. It can be a big deal and one that produces anxiety in them. Rogers created segments examining the flow of water in bathtubs, and he shared films of children damming up streams to manipulate and control fluids. Then he showed other films of children looking at waterfalls, scary and exciting at once. And then, finally, we scripted a tiny fire, and I mean tiny, in the neighborhood of make-believe, Rogers said. We didn't show flames, just some smoke, and the fire was put out in half a minute by the make-believe fire people. When the shows aired, there were seven complaints on behalf of children frightened by the fire and every one of them had something in common. They were all having urinary difficulties. I was fascinated, Rogers said. If I hadn't had the developmental insight, I wouldn't have been able to begin to understand the obvious tie between what was presented on our program and the children's personal development concerns dealing with anything related to fire. McFarland's guiding advice led to a richer show that truly understood the experiences of children. No detail was too small. Toward the end of her life, she was diagnosed with a rare bone marrow disease, but continued conducting research around ego development as late as 1987. News reports of her death at 83 on September 12, 1998, were modest, much like McFarland herself. Her collection of books, numbering in the thousands, were donated to St. Vincent College, where the Fred Rogers Center was established in 2003. Even though the show aired more than a half century ago, it still resonates. She was honored by the creators of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, the modern-day animated spin-off of Mr. Rogers, who named the main character's little sister, Margaret, after her. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ballsy History. Tune in next week to hear a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.